Hello and welcome to Mental Dialogue, episode number 84. Happy New Year to you, first of all. We're getting the show back on the road, and don't mind my hoarse voice. It's a reasonably benign remnant of our holiday spent in India. Anyway, this interview, recorded right before the Christmas break, is with David Zinger, a world-renowned expert on employee engagement. David is a prolific author and blogger on the topic, and founder of the Flourishing Employee Engagement Network. I must say that employee engagement is of particular interest to me because of the importance that the individual employee plays in his or her role in representing the brand on the front line with customers. Hope you'll enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minto Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minto Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to quick. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to Minto Dialogue. This day, I'm piped into Canada, my old, uh, I would call it alma mater, that's not exactly the right kind of expression, my old country. And uh, so, David, tell us who you are and what you do. Well, I'm very uh, passionate and involved in employee engagement. Uh, my claim to fame may be starting the Employee Engagement Network just about six years ago in January. We're at 6,200 members, uh, and I've been following this topic uh, with an interest for eight or ten years, but certainly was involved with it before it had that name. So that's a new moniker for um, a plate of all things. Yeah, David, so what I like in having uh, followed you uh, recently, uh, well, at least for the last couple of years, is, is how you actually animate your uh, your group on LinkedIn and keep, or, and keep everybody uh, engaged. You actually walk the talk. One of the things I'd like to start off with is let's just start off with what is engagement? How do you define engagement? So we could use up the next 30 minutes just going over the 50 or 100 uh, different definitions of engagement. Uh, I define engagement primarily in two ways. It's connection, uh, connection to results, uh, relationship, organization, customers. So there's a multitude of engagements. I really am fond of the academic take on engagement where the prevalence is more to look at work engagement as opposed to employee engagement. And then my own personal bias mentor is, is behavioral. I'm a little tired of satisfaction surveys or engagement surveys mm-hmm. or uh, helpless surveys that the company is not doing this or doing that. And, and I'm very uh, fond of what are the actions around engagement? What is it that we're doing? You know, what's clear for me, having worked for many, many years in a large organization, is that there's pr- pretty much if you ask people, are you engaged, there's a sort of notion, you know, well, I work hard and, you know, I'm tired, I'm doing lots of stuff. So, you know, you, people use, well, I, no, no, I'm totally committed. But reality between someone who's fully engaged truly and someone who's just sort of going through the motions, there, there are differences. And I, and I was wondering, how do you then describe or de- uh, uncover what is real engagement when you're talking about behaviors, for example? Well, it, it ebbs and flows. You know, Teresa Amabile and Stephen Kramer uh, wrote The Progress Principle, and at the end of every day, they asked their sample size. I think they had 12,000 entries. Uh, what stood out for you during the day? And uh, they really started to look at uh, progress and setbacks and, and that facet of engagement. So they were, they were really attuned to, to one element around engagement. 
I think, you know, uh, there's no such thing as discretionary effort. All effort is discretionary on behalf of employees. And that engagement ebbs and flows uh, 30 or 40 times during the day. So we can be very engaged, and then all of a sudden you're running off to the airport and going to Dubai, and you find yourself less engaged. So it, it does ebb and flow. I, I think in five to ten years we'll see more real-time measures of engagement. We may even see biometric measures of engagement in 10 or 15 years. In today's world, so we have this a new, I would say reasonably new, still new, digital world, internet and multitasking, devices everywhere. To what extent do you see that impacting our ability to stay engaged? Does it help, distract? Or how do you evaluate that? Tools neutral. I think all tools are basically neutral, and it's what we do with those tools. I know that smartphone screens are very engaging for most people. They can't help themselves but reach for them and look for them. So as an organization or a company, not to be on mobile devices is a travesty. Uh, when 40% of your workplace or of the global workplace is mobile, that's that's a great potential tool. And as you said, it could also be a tool that takes people away from engagement, that, that draws them out of a room when they're in a room with uh, actual people there. You know, we're going to have a, a real interesting uh, interplay between our virtual selves and our real selves in the workplace that we're only starting to scratch the surface and this thing is going to really uh, affect workplaces in the next 10 years. Do you see uh, when you're chatting with companies, and it'd be great to give us some examples with whom you're working, uh, the the, uh, the notion of allowing people on Facebook at work, and is that something that you see as a, 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 um, a break against engagement? Or do you prefer to say, listen, go with it because that's what they want, that's going to help them keep engaged when they're back on their work task? Uh, I, I think it's presumptuous of a company to think they can allow or not allow. If you don't allow, people will have their smartphones under their desk and, and be doing it anyway. I would rather have things more uh, transparent. You're responsible to accomplish certain outcomes and uh, to contribute to work. Uh, social media or social tools may assist you in that. You know, I, I was in a comp working with a company, EMI, out of uh, India, in, in Pune, India, and uh, they've gamified the whole HR process so that when you start at the company, you also have an avatar and lots of things can happen in there. You can get lost in the game, you can get lost in Facebook, but but there's also uh, a great contributing factor when it's, when it's used uh, well. Mm -hmm. All right, so when you go into your companies, David, give us some ideas as to how do you sort of construct a program to get people or the you know the, the whole company into engagement what are the how do you sort of navigate that path i i hope we won't go to a program <laughs> uh, basically most of the companies i talk to have tried programs and have had minimal results my ideal uh situation as small as the new significant let's determine two or three behaviors if we can get people to enact those will make a, a difference let's let's run it as a test case uh, forget best cases from other companies they may not transfer to you uh do it with a, a branch or an area uh Often there's lots of training done, although small and simple is, is indeed significant, that 
doesn't necessarily mean it's it's easy. So uh, I I tend to go in there in a, in a small way. I tend not to be involved in the in the survey process, but but post survey, I just think too much money is floating out of organizations with surveys. I also am a little concerned that that companies don't own their own data. When you farm your survey out to consultancies, they they own your information, and that's those are some of your veins of of what makes that body corporate uh, function. I know we do that because of concerns with honesty and uh, right. will employees actually tell you what they say. But if, if you have to use an anonymous survey, you have less of an engagement problem. You have more of a safety problem. Hmm. Well, then, so how do you measure uh, engagement? I mean, so, I mean, to the extent that if you're going to have, you know, hire somebody in the form of David Zinger or consultancy or, or do things, you're presumably trying to measure the progress well, it comes down to fundamental questions. Is engagement an input or an output? Is it is it a contributor? Is it what you want to measure? Uh, there's lots of companies far, far smarter than me that have all kinds of measures out there, as long as you understand how they constructed those measures. I mean, if we say that 70% of your workplace is somewhat disengaged, we better darn well know what that means. Uh, what exactly are you saying with that? So... Uh, I once did a survey about six years ago on social media, and, and I basically just asked people, uh, on a scale of five, uh, I hate my work, I dislike my work, I'm neutral on my work, I like my work, I love my work. And guess what, Minter? It came out to be a bell curve. And mm-hmm. guess what happens mostly in organizations with measures? They come out close to being bell curves. Mm-hmm. So uh, not to suggest we don't have measures, but I think we focused almost too much on measures and too much time on questions. And, and companies take measures of employees, large internationals, and get no feedback to employees for months at yeah. a time. And so the very measure is a seed of disengagement. Yeah, the fact that you need to measure it is almost, uh, well, the issue. So um, you've written uh, about the the notion that engagement is, you're the CEO of your engagement, or at least you're, you, know, you own your own engagement as an employee, as opposed to having it come top down. Talk us through the role in your mind about how the boss's engagement is important as a model and responsible for driving engagement. Well, you know, if I'm I'm responsible for my own engagement, but I'm accountable to other people, our, our engagement influences each other. But but ultimately, I want my engagement to go with me wherever I go, um, so so that I play a big role. I do know that my interactions with others are going to have a huge impact. And so, when a boss cares about you, when they bring out the best in you, when they have clarity of results, when they give you lots of negative feedback, when there's a performance but that negative feedback is about how you can grow, how you can develop, how you can change. I think you can barely help yourself. That's going to that's going to enrich uh, your engagement. But never make yourself helpless to your boss or your leadership or your organization. Uh, you, you have the responsibility, and you also have the responsibility to influence others. Bosses and uh, CEOs are influenced by the people who report to them. In, uh, I want to get back into that in a moment, but I'm thinking, what are the levers of engagement? Then you've talked about, you know, feedback, negative feedback. Um, what, are, what are the, what for you? How do you sort of categorize the levers which we can use to gain that engagement? Well, 
frequently to me, they're, they're small actions that people take on a regular basis. So conversations about results. The organization doesn't retreat to craft results. They go into the organization with social tools and then invite people. You don't ask people to get on the same page. You give them an opportunity to write on that page. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a brilliant line out of Positive Deviancies that says, never do anything about me without me. It doesn't mean that the, the employees will engage with everything, but at least they have been invited. So very quickly, when I look at engagement, I look at results, I look at performance, I look at progress setbacks, I look at relationship, look at recognition, look at what we can do in the moment, look at strengths, look at meaning, look at well-being, and look at energy. I love that. So I'm going to just jump on that one a second. Uh, So I'm totally into energy, well-being. What about sleep? Do you ever get into that conversation about managing sleep as a part of engagement and energy? Uh, it's not always a great thing to be sleeping at work, uh, but there are some organizations that, that do give you some uh, nap time. You know, I think people have different levels of, of uh, requirements, physical requirements. Ultimately, I, I actually believe this, and I'm, I'm not trying to be full of hype and hyperbole or being naive. Work can make us well. And uh, Martin Seligman and his group out of uh, flourishing and uh, authentic happiness and well-being said uh, the acronym PERMA, positive emotions, engagement, relationships, meaning, accomplishments, and strengths. When we have those things going on, we have a higher level of well-being. And all six of those can be found inside of work Mm -hmm. rather than something outside of work. Well, that's a hopeful message because that means that we're not spending 10, 12 hours a day being dissected or cut away from who we are and what life's all about. Also, I'm very open to that message. So go back just to this notion of the boss. And I, I think of uh, Jeff Bezos, Steve Jobs, uh, Ellison, even Bill Gates, each of them running a founding and running their company. Each of them I would say fairly, you know, massively engaged in terms of the amount of time and commitment they had to their company, but then also having a very irascible, not very necessarily charming way of giving feedback. To what extent for you is the manner of giving feedback and the manner of giving direction important in engagement? Well, you know, the people of Vital Smarts who do crucial conversations and other courses really said it well. Intent trumps content. Uh, the intent of the message. If the intent of the message is, I care about you, I care about our organization, I care about results, uh, I want things to occur, I, 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 I believe in you, I want to foster your development, you can hear just about any message um, and, and, and respond to that in a fairly effective way. If the boss is a quote-unquote a bully or as Bob Sutton would call an asshole, um, then then we really have to look at how we step up to that and how we respond to that. We're not helpless. Uh, we, we can say, you know, there's a respect issue, and it's not just about achieving uh, results. We've also got to build relationships if we want this to be sustainable. And if you're going to treat me like that, then I need to make some decisions about whether I stay in this organization or I invite you to change your behavior or something else uh, alters along the way. Yeah, try to say that to Jeff. Um, I- you can say, yeah, absolutely. You can say it because right. 
Because if you have your engagement with you, you don't feel helpless and you say, I can go elsewhere. And, and you know, if, if, if Jeff loses enough people, he's going to say, my God, my behavior is affecting the results of this organization. If I keep that going and keep burning through people, I'm, I may not be sustainable with that. You can say it now often, but don't get me wrong, there's fear in the workplace. People have mortgages, they have bills and all kinds of other things, but but that doesn't preclude us from being able to, to step up and, and keep our own well-being. Because if we swallow that uh, day after day, work work becomes an energy drain, not an energy gain, and it doesn't make us well, it makes us sick. I, I, when I hear, when I, I, I've written personally about this thing called the marketing of the five E's, and engagement is one of my five. So I, I've been, I love this topic. I also talk about another E of emotion, and uh, so. But the challenge with emotion in the workplace, it's one thing to create an emotional advertisement that gains you know, traction with consumers, that makes them cry or <laughs> makes them pick up a phone and want to buy. Great. Uh, but finding emotion in the workplace, it, it just – it seems to me that whether it's in education or the corporate culture in general, there's a, a strong privileging of rational analytical behavior and less acceptance of laughing – and crying and and being you at work. So how do you how do you gauge that? <laughs> you know that's probably a fairly accurate summary, Minter. Uh, you know, if you look at the word emotion and you peel off the first letter E, you have motion. And North Americans, on the whole, are not only emotionally guided; they're emotionally governed. Um, to, to be uh, have a lack of attunement to, to emotions within the workplace or to stifle emotions um, is, is indeed counterproductive. I think often emotions get caught up in kind of a touchy-feely, what, what, what's this messy, soft-skill crap all about? That's not what emotions are. I mean, emotions are, are guidelines or governors of, of behavior. Um, and and to, to not tap into that resource is to miss a, a whole facet of it. And we, we don't find emotions. They're already there. That's for sure. So, so if the emotion isn't one of jubilation, it may be one of despair. And there may be very little bandwidth of expression of that. But it's in the workplace. And, and it's having an impact on, on all kinds of variables. Have you ever had to deal with a Jobsian, Bezosian uh, type that in what appears to be in the way they're written up, both in Stone's book or in uh, the Jobs biography, as sort of almost autistically unemotional? Uh, I mean, that's to say that they're not, sorry, autistically unempathetic. Uh, have you ever had to deal with that kind of a boss and a CEO? And, and then how, what kind of... What's the way around that? Because if they're sort of unempathetic and they don't care how they speak, they, they're all interested in their results and their vision. What, what, what sort of, what's the ground rule for that? Well, I, I think, and I, I don't want to make this sound easy. It's simple, but it's not necessarily easy. Is if you want them to change their behavior, they've got to find what the benefit is for them or what they what what the mutual purpose is. So I don't think you go to a person like that and say, "I don't like you talking to me like that." I think you go and say, "You know, when you talk to me like that, it's less likely that we're going to achieve the results, and not because I'm trying to thwart you or not because I'm trying to get even, but it's hard for me to hear that message. It's hard for me to respond to that." And and when you just say, well, that's my style and that's how I work, I just want you to know that not only for me, but probably other people in this organization, it's getting in the way of some of the results that you're probably trying to achieve.
When you um, we talk about engagement, I, I usually talk about engagement when we're talking about getting customers involved. To what extent? How do you? How does engagement play out in creating engaging conversations online as an employee? Where do you work with like marketing people on that specifically relating you know employee engagement to customer contact engagement? Not specifically, you know, more more just hit and miss a little bit with certain call centers or other elements. But I mean, the the evidence is pretty clear: engaged employees, engaged interactions. But but it's also all engagement is bi-directional. And what I mean by that is, uh, if I engage with customers, it probably enhances the customer experience. But when the customer engages with me, it probably also enhances my uh, employee engagement experience. So so it's kind of a two-way street. Right. They they sort of give energy back. Yeah, almost sometimes without helping themselves or or whatever. Or when you deal with a very difficult customer, let's not minimize that. That's a tough experience. But but there are people who 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 gain from that and say, "Wow, that, I've never seen that kind of behavior before. That that was awesome. I mean, I didn't like how the person responded, but that was that was something else." All right. So on another level, uh, and I call this the essence, the E of essence. If you're if you're talking with a company or a set of employees that are, are working for a thing that with in which ethically they find questionable, and so you might I, I don't want to mention any of them, but you know you can imagine what they might look like. How do you get engagement without being attached to the mission of the industry in which you're working? Is that possible, or how do you approach that? Well, I think people are able to wear blinders and, and not look at what's going on. Um, but also, hopefully, you have some influence or sway within that organization. If it, if it goes, you know, uh, I hate to try and categorize mild or medium or heavily ethical issues. That's right. That's why I didn't want to go there. Yeah. But, but, but you know, I mean, I, I worked with a distillery, Seagram, uh, owned by Diageo for 18 years as their employee counselor. I, I cared about those employees. I, I wanted to help them. I, I did the best I could for their personal lives, their work lives, and other factors. But I'm not blind that, that they're selling a product that creates difficulties for their customers. And, and, and Seagram was, uh, when they were owned by the Bronfmans, was at least fairly attuned to our, our product can create uh, difficulties. In fact, not only that, they, they said our product can create difficulties for our employees, so we need to respond to that. And I, I don't think they were just trying to whitewash it or put a positive spin. They they recognized that. Yeah, I mean, in the end of the day, I've had chance to work in the alcohol industry, and you know, you can look at it on a positive spin, which is which is that where you know it's actually a social lubricant and for happy times. And yet, there's on the other side. There's always the darker side. It was not always, but there is a darker side. So the, the, the I guess the point is, isn't you know, do we need to have kind of a higher mission for our company to truly get to the bottom of engagement? You know the, the 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 one that sort of, you know, I jump out of bed, I'm I'm able to work for nothing, and you know whatever you might want to call it as the super the uber engagement. Well, let me just share a quick anecdote. It's just coincidental, but but this morning, Marshall Goldsmith phoned me. I don't know if you're aware of who he is, but uh, he does a lot of work in organizations, and he he's he's been looking at personal engagement. He, he shared a snippet. I won't mention any names, but he he talked about three CEOs of organizations who do really awesome and incredible work and meaningful work, and to trying to address world poverty or whatever. And and then talking to those three CEOs, what he shared with me is they have 
many trivial days. They have many days where they're not lacking engagement and almost from a distance. How could this be? They're doing such awesome potential things mm-hmm. for, for the globe or whatever. And yet they have, they have their days when it's just a very kind of disengaging kind of day. There's Administrative. Work and there's all kinds of other things with that. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, cause the, when I, when I think of commercial versus an NGO or some charity, is engagement, uh, you know, there's definitely not necessarily engage, more engagement in a charity because of the personalities and people coming there, they're all wealthy and they all have their thing to say and you're hurting cats around some kind of vision of their engagement, which can be even more complicated than in a commercial entity where you have a sort of a singularity maybe. Well, just, just to, to segue a little bit, just because it was just recent, it was the last phone call I was on, but, but Marshall said he, he knows some people in, in, in very social organizations who do such great work for humanity but can't stand humans. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, he, he puts things very well. Right. Um, so, so on the surface it looks like – but but is that bi-directional engagement? So, so if we go to a block of meaning, uh, do I engage in the meaning of the organization, but does the meaning engage me? And that's a very fluid uh, phenomenon. I, I like to use the analogy of a reef knot um, where you bring two ropes together, and, and that's, that's where that engagement resides, where they're joined. But another word for a reef knot is a slip knot. You just pull one of the ends of one of the ropes, mm. both sides – and the other, the other rope slips off. And, and I think that's about how tenuous our relationship is with engagement. If you think you can just create it, install it, run a program, do these things, and you're going to have engagement, I think you're mistaken. Mm. Do you have any examples of companies that are really are exemplary in engagement? Any tips, tricks, secrets that uh, would be worth part sharing? Not, mm. you know... Each, each place has its strengths and weaknesses. You know, every time they do those those books like Built to Last or Tom Peters Excellence or whatever, within five years those companies are no longer there. Yeah, we've been talking about Lululemon, like the place to be with super engaged employees and uh-oh. Yeah, so, so I mean, you know, you, you can talk about, I mean, Google's doing some interesting stuff with Project Oxygen and looking at how they're influencing managers and those kinds of elements. And I think in many ways Google can be a good place to work, but my understanding also is that they're taking away that that 20 percent of your work time that you had more autonomy on so so what what happens there let me just share one quick example because i like i really like small little things ramiro garcias who's the vice president of kimberly clark latin america operations was talking about the fatigue with surveys and engagement and he said you know what we do is we we use the sunday question and he said every sunday our employees are encouraged to ask themselves am i looking forward to going to work tomorrow if they are then they proceed as normal if they are not then on monday they're expected to go to their manager or supervisor or someone else and say i answered the sunday question and and my answer was no and as opposed to disengagement being a punishable offense it was a trigger for a conversation of what was going on what was going on for the individual or what was going on for the workplace or what was going on outside of work that, that the answer would be that way and i thought that's a beautiful one week um question that kind of gets it going and and brings people together mm. i like it 
It's like it makes me think of uh, the Amazon approach to giving people a thousand dollars to leave the the week afterwards. It's a sort of a it's a it's a, a really useful conversation, not viewed as a negative. And there's sort of a healthiness to it if you're allowing if your ears are able to listen to it carefully enough as the person is receiving the the news. Oh, I'm not engaged today. We're not looking forward to work. Uh, David, um, our time is uh, limited as we are responsible for that. So uh, I wanted to thank you for coming onto the show. I would love for you to, to tell us uh, any books um, and or any other uh, references that you'd like to give uh, give us, and which I'll put in the show notes. And even if uh, someone has um, a desire for something you might want to give away. Well, I, you know, the easiest way to contact me is david at davidzinger.com or to visit my site, uh, www.davidzinger.com. Uh, from there, the Employee Engagement Network, if you type that into Google, is a fantastic community. It's colorful. There's all kinds of free resources on there. Just uh, with Peter W. Hart from Rodeau Recognition, we just completed a beautiful 50-page book on people artistry at work, uh, The Ennoblement Imperative. It's uh, just a very nice, easy read. It's not easy to enact those <laughs> principles, but it an easy read. Mm-hmm. For three summers, I did uh, some work on engaging honeybees in a beehive. I even put computers in there, and my bees had a Twitter account. If you email me, david yep. at davidzinger.com, mm-hmm. uh, I'd love to send you the PDF. Uh, it's about a 50-page book, and it's called 39 Lessons on uh, Organizations, Work, and Engagement from Honeybees. So it's, uh, it's fairly inventive, uh, but it really does encourage people to think differently inside their hives. I love that. So, David, splendid. I'll put all that into the show notes. I love talking about this wonderful topic. Thanks for your insights and sharing and spending some time with us. And uh, we should be in touch. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minta Dialogue Internet Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please rate it in iTunes, and don't forget to click the handy Facebook like button or to tweet it out. In the meantime, please come join the conversation at The Mindset or catch me on Twitter at M-D-I-A-L. Happy trails. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. 
We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.